So how, on God's gray earth, did this... You gotta hit it with the right away! Maybe black to buy more intellect won't see Either way it's... And this... And even this. Become this. Tours and Outliers, the podcast where we take a closer look at that one album in an artist's discography that sticks out like a sore thumb. It might be their best album, it might be their worst album, but either way, it's that one album where the artist was so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. This week on the panel, we have Logan Renard, Matthew Marr, Don White. And this is Scott Livingston. Um, we're back for season two. What did you all do on your uh, summer vacation? I don't remember. Very good. <laughs> uh, yes, the essay will be due next week. Um, anyway, this week our special guest is the aforementioned Don White, a uh, bass player and multi-instrumentalist for a dozen bands or so. Um, oh give or take, Capacel, Terminals, Neverknezzard. I don't know who you want to plug this week, but... Uh, well, currently, Neverknezzard and Ice Troll, I Ice guess, Troll. are the ones that are, are the most um, active right now at the moment. And So so yeah. there you go. Yeah. Definitely check those out. <laughs> and um, per Don's suggestion, we dove into the discography of the Melvins. And um, tell us why you picked this particular Melvins album. Well, I, I don't know. I could have picked several, because uh, I kind of think they have this thing where... Almost like every third or fourth album, they put out one that's a little bit left, Off. left, left, and I, and I think that's healthy. I think they do it to kind of like just reduce the engine or whatever. But uh, there was also Prick and Colossus of Destiny, which I thought could be easily represented here too, because they're both really Colossus of Destiny <laughs> was kind of the the one that I uh, I thought of as a bizarro. Most people when I bring that one up are just <laughs> even most Melvin's fans when I bring that one up are just like. That's not my favorite Melvin's record. <laughs> but but this one's, as far as experimentation, I would say, you know, it's, it's pretty all over the map. So, yeah. It's one of the so reasons. it's a good chance you'll hear the Melvin's again, possibly on season three. And I mean, according to Wikipedia on this article um, for Honky, it did say this is the band's most experimental album. So if Wikipedia says that, it's definitively true. So <laughs> Wiki defined. Indeed. So. Demonstrably true, anyway. Yes. So what... What makes this sound different from what the Melvins usually sound like? And I guess in part with that, what do the Melvins usually sound like? Well, they were weird. Melvins are interesting because to me, they're not really a metal band. They're, they're heavier than most metal bands, but they're not a metal band. No. They're, they're punker than most punk bands, but they're not a punk band. They kind of have this weird abstract undercurrent that is just unique that I don't know how to explain it, but for whatever reason... And I don't want to call it heavy art rock because art rock is kind of it's kind of a stuffy term, but art rock, but heavy art rock would, might work. Any, I, don't, I don't know. It's uh, any of the things <laughs> you might call the Melvins like art rock or prog rock or punk rock that are seemingly descriptive are also tied to a very specific couple of bands and a genre, and exactly. they never really stay in one place thematically long enough to 
you know, fit to get that definition. Yeah. yeah, yeah to get exactly. one of those. So if you say they're like an arty rock band, it's like, well, they're not the velvet underground. Yeah, this isn't Radiohead. Do, do they do velvet <laughs> undergroundy stuff? Absolutely. Yes. But yeah. that not, not for very long. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it might be buried underneath a bunch of really crazy shit. So this one, I think just cause the inclusion of all the electronic stuff on here, they don't really, I mean, they dabble with it a little bit in previous records, but on this one, it kind of comes out up front a lot. And so, when I heard this record the first time, it kind of almost reminded me of like a heavy Ween record. There's like a lot of Weenisms in this record with like the lo-fi sort of synths and stuff yeah. and what they've done. I don't know. There's yeah, definitely uh, yeah. a couple <laughs> of songs that are or Ween or almost even they might be giants on the song. My, note, yeah, my notes say yeah. pure guava all over the place on a couple <laughs> of tunes. So what was the history behind this? This was came out in like '97, right? And it came out right after they got dropped. From Atlantic. So were they either bitter or relieved to be, or possibly both? I, I think it's, I, I actually, I think it was probably a bit of both. I mean, there's definitely one track on here was them exercising some demons against the record company well, executives. Well, it was just pretty brilliant saving the, uh, the messages they got yes. on the answering service. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. I think they just, you can tell they're like, well, we'll go to this label and make whatever record we want. Yeah. And then they, that's what they did. <laughs> yeah. You know, for better or for worse. And some people might think it's a little bit, you know, out there, but. And they got the special packaging, which yes. they wanted to, which they couldn't get because they didn't go gold yes. on Atlantic. So, well, and this was released on the Amphetamine Reptile, yeah. which is Tom Hazelmeyer's yeah. uh, record label, which they still use yeah. to put out um, singles and such. Singles and weird, you know, woodcut, limited art run, hand screen printed album cover stuff. Yeah, he's an amazing artist too. Yeah, so Tom's when great. they, yeah, yeah, Tom <laughs> does uh, linoleum cuts and has done a bunch of both album artwork and and tour artwork for the for the Melvins, but when they want to, you know, when I thought about that with this record, that this was the first kind of album they put out on, yeah. you know, on MRAP, that's kind of awesome because they still do this. If they yeah, have yeah, something yeah. too, too weird for public consumption. Well, and then they've eventually found a, you know, obviously found their home at Ipecac, which, you know, it's great that they, yeah, they'll let them do anything too. <laughs> yeah, I think they're pretty good there, but yeah. Yeah. So cool. how and why did any major label sign them to begin with? I, it's I, it's a direct it's it, I mean I got to bring him up it's directly it has everything to do with Kurt Cobain I mean well, absolutely yeah. I mean they it, also signed <laughs> Daniel Johnston to a record label yeah, exactly. just because he wore the T-shirt well, I mean it's just you know the the right heads from the right labels are in the same party and they find out that someone's friends with someone oh oh and then you know yeah you know then conversations lead to conversations and then you get a label and so and um, then the label is very disappointed by your <laughs> output um both but they had already been around for quite a while they had, yeah, oh, yeah they had put out certain you know at least on other labels yeah a lot of stuff but i know some people might not agree with this but i you know agree with the the popular opinion that if there was no melvins or buzz and dale of the melvins Nirvana would not exist as we know it. That's probably true. Yeah, that's um, probably true. They were not just contemporaries, but they were predecessors of of Nirvana and close buddies of them. Uh, mentors, maybe even men mentors. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, a big, 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 big influence. Well, they even shared a drummer, right? Well, well, Dale played drums on on Bleach on a couple of songs and was in an earlier incarnation of Nirvana. So, yeah, no, they're they're like sister bands or whatever. But they are definitely not grunge. I mean, no, they're not. I mean, nobody would mistake them for that, which I think is part of why the record company was so disappointed with not only their commercial performance but just sonically. They're like, you don't we sound can't like, push this. This doesn't sound like Temple of the Dog. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. This isn't Mother Love Jones Bones or whatever. <laughs> they 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 sound like uh, uh, like Perubu, but played at the wrong record speed or something yeah, at, is, at the times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know. Yeah. Which is a good thing. Yeah, which is a good thing. <laughs> yeah. Apparently, this album only cost them like three grand to make, and they did it after like three days of rehearsal. It was a really quick sort of, again, I think cathartic is a lot of what's going on here. Definitely seems like a release, like yeah. no, no pun intended, but a release. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'm not as uh, familiar with all of their disc discography, but when I think of the Melvins, I always think of very, very thick, yeah. You know, the sludgy kind of guitar tones, um, you, you know, guitar very up front and center. And uh, this album is, I mean, there's bits of that, but it's, yeah. it's not that. Well, there, there's two types of songs on here. There's the ones that are over eight minutes and the ones that are <laughs> under three minutes. The ones that are under three minutes generally sound like and, and eh, sometimes, what you'd expect Melvins. <laughs> sometimes they're just tacked all together yeah. and on and, the same track. Yeah, some are, yeah, 
<laughs> There's some cool, like, little minimal bits of psychedelia I like on this, too. Yeah. If you're familiar with, like, the trilogy, uh, was it the bootlicker, I think? The maggot, the crybaby, and the bootlicker. There's a lot of kind of psychedelic, kind of, like, mild psychedelia going on there, too. And they, they touch on some of that here, too. So, I mean, I mean, I like this record a lot, but I can understand why people were like... Yeah, the Melvins are hard <laughs> to get into, but if you're going to get into them, this is not the place to start. Well, and then they busted their asses for Atlantic. I mean, I think they put out Stoner Witch and... And they put out Houdini in 93 and Stoner Witch in 94, like, back-to-back, like, yeah. the next year. Like, they were trying to crank it out, you know. Well, were, I think those are two really good records, but apparently Atlantic didn't agree. <laughs> yeah. Were the, the solo records on Atlantic? What's that? Which one? The the, the Buzz, uh, Buzz Dale and, and Joe solo, the parody of The Kiss. Yeah, yeah, the solo albums. So I, th- this might those be cool completely <laughs> wrong, and I might be spreading completely false information, but <gasps> this is the legend that I heard, so you've you got to stick with that. But that uh, they were really fed up with being on Atlantic and that they turned it, they had, you know, whatever, a five or six album contract and handed in three completed albums, you know, and over that they'd recorded over the course of just a few months just to be off the record label. And they're pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I, I like them. I mean, but they, that's, I think they released the Joe Preston one. It's interesting because he'd already been replaced yeah. by Mark D on bass. So I don't know if that was a previous recording, but yeah, the Buzz solo record is really good. I like that one a lot, but that yeah, one's good. I, th- I think they're all cool. Yeah, I've been. I was looking through their lineups. They they have uh, seem to have a little trouble hanging on the bass player. Yeah, that's, if, that's kind of. Like, if you go to their <laughs> their their website, there's a page called the Bass Player Morgue. Oh yeah. Um, well, then they put out that album, which is Bases Loaded, recently, which is basically an album that contains songs from all the different bases that they've had in their time. I mean, they had. Um, they do have a sense of humor about themselves, which is important i think if you're familiar with like uh an album like ozma i mean they had shirley temple's daughter lorax actually played bass on that record which is actually pretty interesting you know well, they huh. had all sorts of bass players <laughs> yeah she's uh she's really that's that's like a true a true a true thing didn't even know shirley temple had a daughter neither did i <laughs> there you go proofs in the pudding well shall we dive into this with yeah. the track number one uh they all must be slaughtered we don't have this on uh, iTunes or Spotify, so we're going to use YouTube today. By the way. Everybody sing along now. <laughs> Who's doing vocals on this? This track features Kat from Babes in Toyland. She, oh, cool. she guests on the female yeah, vocals right. on this track. Yeah. yeah. Babes and in Toyland's awesome. And I think David Scott Stone does the boat symbols on here too. And he's from a band you might be familiar with called The Get Hustle, who's another just phenomenal band, amazing band. The three against four motif through the whole thing. I mean, you're asking a lot of your fans right away if you're opening up with an ambient track. So it's like yeah. it's an eight minute, <laughs> minute long. And this is this is how you open your album. So yeah, it, it'd be great in a David Lynch film, but uh, <laughs> it's not exactly rocking. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say that. So, you know, the, the longer songs definitely feel like they could be soundtracks. Yeah, this, this one is, definitely has a cinematic. Yeah, definitely has like a cinematic vibe to it for sure. Too too busy to be Eno, but <laughs> yeah, exactly. Definitely some over. I was gonna say these, the Melvins are an LA band. Like they get associated with the Seattle, Tacoma grunge thing yep. pretty heavily, but they really moved the hell out of there pretty uh, uh, my lifetime ago, pr- practically. Um, yeah, yeah. And so they've been LA based since, and uh, it's wild to hear this sort of thing at this time coming out of LA because. I mean, doesn't this sound like something that like Bill Laswell or somebody would be up to on for in New sure, York, like sure. same same time? And yeah, so I think the previous record was Stag, which I think was the last album that they did on Atlantic. Yeah, and that one was still kind of typical and had some interesting things too. But this, I mean, this is pretty stark <laughs> compared to Stag, as far as just like well, right out the gate, you know. To to quote the uh, comment on the YouTube. Uh, it says this is what I would imagine someone like the BTK 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 killer would listen to. BTK killer. 
Well, I mean, the Northwest is home to a lot of... <laughs> yeah, that is true. Drifters <laughs> Uns- and... Uh, unsolved uh, cases that just so don't get solved. Do we have any comment on the instrumentation there? What what all was going on? It's bowed cymbals and drums and vocals. Maybe, and maybe like Ebo, or like the guitar, is that like feedback? Yeah, some sort of buzzed. synthesizer yeah, sounding thing. Yeah. yeah. But it's, yeah, it is not rock by most definitions. It's not a rocking opening track, that's for sure. But I, 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 you know, I like I like this album. I actually like this album quite a bit, and uh, I was kind of I was into it, like because of how different it was. They were like, you know what, we're just gonna do this. It does set a mood, I think. Yeah. yeah. Well, it also scares off anyone who's not going to um, appreciate the rest of the album. Short attention span, people. Yeah. A lot. <laughs> a lot of the Melvins albums have a very particular um, theme or some sort of overarching thematic connection to them on a couple of my favorite records start really really fast and get unbearably slow by the end or vice versa um, and I, I think they're very conscious of, of doing things like that deliberately and while this one doesn't 100% fit that it definitely has like this deliberate's it, it, a good word deliberate's yeah, a good, a- <laughs> deliberate's ambient a good you know mood music kind of quality to it that even in the rockin' songs kind of you're never too I think it sets up a thing so when they end up doing their heavy drum guitar, bass guitar, riff rock thing, you're still expecting, you know, you're still waiting for it to go back into the, the, the swirly synthesizer thing. You're never like, I'm glad that's over. Yeah. It's always like looming. <laughs> it's going to hit. You're not sure when. <laughs> it's not good party music. <laughs> well, it depends on the party. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. It depends on the theme of the party. You know, yes. Exactly. There you go. You know. Shall we move on to the next one? I think this is the one they did a, a very short video for. It's a great video, too. I love that video. <laughs> I think it's probably it's probably best they didn't open with this. It would be misleading. Right, exactly. Yeah. For a song that's under two minutes, it has a lot of different parts to it. Yeah, they, they travel to some to a lot of different places in that yeah little minimal amount of time there. It's pretty cool. Yeah, this is more in line with kind of classic Melvin's yeah stuff. Although the vocals don't kick in until you know nearly the very end. A little, little bit of just a little bit of grindcore, just a little bit of grindcore thrown in. Yeah. Oh, subtle. <laughs> so you can't really hear him featured. Really prominently on this one, Mark, the bass player from this period, is probably one of my favorite Melvin's bass players. Um, and uh, if you, if you the listen, last album with Mark D, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah if you listen yeah. to Stoner Witch, it has probably the best hard rock metal production. Would put for hard rock, you know, not quite metal, metal, you know, extreme metal stuff, just for a, for a, a hard rock album. It's like the first solo Danzig record and Stoner Witch are like flawless in terms of guitar tones and bass tones and production oh, yeah, and stuff. Yeah. Well, those guys, yeah, Mark, Mark D was really on, I mean, as far as the early 90s, early to mid 90s records. Bikini is one of my favorite records of all time. That's really the album that caught me by them when I was, you know, I was just a kid when I heard it and it's just that one sold me and then the, the next the next couple of records they did with him were great and then this is the last one they did which is very different but still you know um, you can tell it's it's mark and uh, well it's it's uh it's buzz plays all buzz and dale play all the bass on houdini yeah um and laurie's credited as playing on there but it's also been not <laughs> she's been she was credited on the back as being in the band as the bass player but yeah yeah you want to look good. Yeah. <laughs> was she the uh, the Sid Vicious of the Melvins? Kind of. She could play okay. I, there's some pretty good footage yeah, I've seen of her playing. It's like they were playing UCLA, the campus of UCLA, and it's just them, the three of them, with, with Lori. And they're rock, They're actually covering uh, uh, 
the Nile song by Pink Floyd. Yeah. They're doing like a really heavy version of the Nile song. It's great. And it's just right on the campus. And it's good. Yeah. But she had some, Lori had some, you know, stuff she was dealing with. And so I can see why maybe she wasn't on, you know. That song's pretty heavy to begin with. Yeah, it's yeah. A great. That's a great song. They've, they've done some cool treatments to Floyd. They've done Interstellar Overdrive. They've done this, uh, yeah, the Nile song. Um, yeah, so they're, they're Floyd. Spoiler fans. alert for next week. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Are you guys doing more? The more soundtrack next week? Uh, no. Umagama. Umagama. Umagama yeah. Another one I like. That's like you know, I heard that that band doesn't like it. Different. Whole other issue. <laughs> Moving on to the next track. Next track. <laughs> Lovely butterfly. <laughs> you can see why they named it butterfly. Yeah. It's it's. It sounds a little distorted. Actually. You know, Buzz's guitar tone is especially heavy because he usually lets the bass guitar do a lot of the work. It's a lot cleaner than you might think. He's in the same way that, like, uh, um, you know, Billy Gibbons is, oh, yeah. like, not as, scre- it's, you know, actually pretty fendery sounding and clean. It's just over this wall of heavy drums and fuzzy bass. Yeah, but, they, actually, but this is completely blown out. But that's all drums. Yeah, yeah. You know, like... And Amphetamine Reptile, the label, they're kind of known for being the quintessential, like, Midwest noise rock label. And so for them, I mean, it kind of makes sense that some of the stuff on here is more kind of in line with being noise rock or whatever, whatever you want to call noise rock. But I that's kind of what the label's known for, you know. That's some pretty shellacky guitar tone. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was thinking about it. The bass, the bass there. But I think that I'm might saying, be yeah. that might be synth too. It could be. Could be. But I mean, it's like you're getting into square waves there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when the drums sound like they're recorded with like a radio shack, cymbals with contact mics on them, stuffed inside the bass drum or something like that. A ghetto blaster with the uh, batteries running low. Yeah. <laughs> nah, that's probably real bass guitar, but just. I think so. So those are some uh, lovely lyrics there, if you can understand them. Yeah, what was it? Whistle? Dick? Something gristle? I heard the so, word gristle in there. I want to drop a... This was from the Melvin's documentary that came out a few years ago. Or I, I think it was from one of the trailers for it, but it was uh, 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 Jared, one of the one of the bass players to come was, was talking about how he, uh, when he got the gig, you know, when they were asked to join the Melvins, he was like, at last I get to find out what some of the words are on my favorite records. <laughs> and he said, you know, he was singing it and he was like, he would ask buzz. It's like, Hey, so in this song, like, what do you say? It sounds like you go, you know, shamalama ding dong right here. And he's like, yeah, that that'll work. You, Sing. He was like, but what is it? He was like, don't don't worry about it. Like, he would give away nothing as far yeah. as, uh, you know, what the words were or... I mean, they any... have some pretty unique song titles as it is. So yeah, that's like, true. Trying to, <laughs> nor, trying to follow the lyrics. Uh, nor you know. would he clarify what any of the meaning or intention was. It was just but I like, think Buzz is actually a pretty unique... He's a pretty unique vocalist and a pretty unique lyricist. I mean, there's no one else that really sounds like him except yeah. for maybe Jared who's on a higher register yeah. which is kind of why it sounds good when, oh, when, they're, sounds sing- awesome. when they're singing together but uh, I, you know Buzz kind of you know definitely has his own style I mean there aren't too many people out there that sound like him so I you know. think he's a you know one of those uh, a musician or you know artist whatever creative person who it really stands behind the well if you know what I you know what I want it to mean to, you don't it, get to whether, whether yeah whether or not you know what i intended with yeah. this does that change how you take it in no, like, yeah. you know <laughs> it's like just i think he was well versed with flipper i you, i can hear the flipper in melbourne oh, yeah, it's just a sure. sort of slow punk and if you listen to bruce Luce's vocals and listen to like buzz's there's like a little bit of similarity there i think you know buzz eventually got a little bit more um expanded with his vocal range well, it becomes you know, more, more buzz than, yeah it's more as, than not, as just you. Punk, not just slow <laughs> punk but I, you know, yeah i think we've talked about that a little bit in other context about lyrics you know sometimes when artists explain their lyrics they really lose they rob it of the ability to it's uh they lose something significant you know it's like no it meant this and it's like well do you want to know anymore do you you just gotta know because if you just gotta know it might ruin it for you right right you know well and they are not a lyric or vocal front band it is always mixed really low pretty distorted the only words you can hear clearly on this album ironically come from the um Record company executives, because that's the only thing they want to make sure you understand. Everything else is, yeah, it's just a third guitar, essentially. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> so what's our next song? Uh, I believe the next track is uh, Pitfalls and Serving Warrants, which <laughs> sounds dangerous. <laughs> I like that most of the songs start with someone belching. Oh, just a dog in the bounty. This is another one that's... <laughs> I kind of hear, like, some psychedelic stuff in this. Kind of a bit of a ween thing going on there. I don't know if that was conscious, but I, I hear a similarity. Yeah. Again, the bass is just absolutely square wave shredded, <laughs> and the guitar is pretty clean. I mean, not clean clean, but it's overdriven guitar. Yeah, it's not. Yeah. It's not metal zone. Another recurring trope with Melvins is marches. Dale's big on marches. If you listen to their records, he's. I mean, every album's got at least you know a couple tracks where there's marches that are very up in the mix as far as drums go. Have, have any of you seen them live? I've seen the Melvins a bunch. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah I've seen them like. 30 or 40 times. <laughs> a lot. <Yeah. laughs> um, in their more recent albums, they've get it, gotten into doing some like drumline warm-up kind of chant songs in a round kind of things that are very drum core inspired, which is cool. I mean, does stuff like this translate live, you think? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, it's fantastic. I haven't seen too much off of this album perform live. Um, very often in the shows I've seen, and I've seen them about eight or nine times, but um, I don't know what they're, as far as what they choose to do live, I don't know if Honky's is one of the albums that they go to uh, right, very sure, often. Sure. I, I'm sure they have, I'm sure they have, but um, I don't think it's one that they, they did cover yeah. live a lot. They do, think, uh, having seen them a bunch of times, they do tend to pull out one, I think I've seen them perform a song. I've seen Freaktos, of... I've seen Freaktos live and it's amazing, that song is just... Yeah. Annihilates. Well, interesting, like in a song like this, there's big dynamic changes, you know, that uh, Nirvana became famous oh, for. But so this is a little more interesting. Live, than... they are not all out balls to the wall the whole time. There are a lot of band dynamics, and it goes from oh yeah, no, really then, yeah. practically silent to as loud as they can get. Often, they were they were often booed in the early '90s, opening opening for a lot of bigger bands. And a friend of mine saw them in '93 at the Fox, opening for Primus, and the Primus fans just. They weren't having it. And so you know, Buzz gave him like 20 minutes of feedback. He literally said, okay, if you guys are going to throw trash at me, and then I'm going to give you 20 minutes of feedback, and I'm not going to talk to you. <laughs> it's interesting you mention that, too, because when I was listening to this, when I was listening casually, like had it on in the background, yeah. there were several times it made me think of Primus. Yeah. yeah. It was like, it was like, oh, this is very Primus-like, you know? I mean, without the slap bass, obviously. Well, it's, but, you it's, know. it's really idiosyncratic. There are, you know, not as well defined as Primus has, or like the, you know, I think Tom, uh, you know, uh, Primus ripped off from Tom Waits, but the, the sort of, they're reoccurring characters kind of thing that gets into the Melvins a little bit. Um, and they opened up for a lot of big bands that year yeah. too. They opened up for Rush, which is to me, is just, and I, <laughs> I would have loved to have seen that. I, I guess the, the Rush fans were like, they didn't get it either, but I, I would have loved to have seen that. My, I bet they were more polite. My, uh, <laughs> um, the Primus fans, yeah, yeah right, maybe, right, maybe yeah. not quite as, yeah, maybe not quite as inebriated as the Primus fans, but my, my second favorite Melvin's anecdote was from one of my friends who saw them open for Kiss. Yeah, they opened for Kiss that same year. They opened for Kiss and Rush in the same the same year. They were just and they they played in a stadium somewhere, yeah, and yeah. it was probably in Virginia. <laughs> Those were the. No, Whoever they had managing them, yeah, got them some pretty nifty, fancy kicks in the early 90s. I'm not sure who they would be appropriate opening for, though, really. I mean, they they seem like an opener to me. So so they opened for... They opened for Kiss, and this was they were touring the Lysol album. And if you've heard the Lysol album, actually, the first or second song on it is I love, that's is, a, I love uh, that record. That's one of my favorites. Is a Flipper cover. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, but the intro to that Flipper cover is like this, like fifty some low fifty beats per minute, whole notes with lots of feedback, slow intro. And so my friend said that the Melvins came out. Nobody had any idea who the hell the Melvins were. This place is packed with Kiss fans. And they came out, and Buzz goes, and the crowd goes nuts. They're, and just lets it hang for like 20 seconds. And then he goes, and the crowd goes, and by like the fourth of the, the just kept on doing it. They're just like, yeah, it's power but that's, chords. If you know power the album chords. Lysol, it's the first track on Lysol. They're playing it. Well, because they were doing kind of like before doom metal or stoner was like a, yeah. was like, it was like a convenient like term or subgenre term. It was they were doing it before that. Those subgenres existed. So I mean, nobody knew they were doing slow and sludgy. Before. They've always seen what the hell was going on, and they started booing them after about 
It's the first a, they were minute of that song. They were boot a lot in the early to mid nineties. Well, they, they've always seemed to me kind of a, a band's band, you know, like people just people you have that, to know music to yeah, get people it. People that like music, especially like you know heavier kind of music, always <laughs> yeah. seem to really dig the Melvins, right? Right, but uh, they never seemed to quite you know broke that. Not that they wanted to, but you know, they never quite broke that pop barrier, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, getting into um, I mean, I think that's, massive adulation. That's probably right? the biggest. I think primus. Revolve is probably, and then Revolve, yeah, that from Stoner, uh, yeah. which might be like, yeah, they, that was a pretty big song, you know. Um, was it 1994, I think. And I mean, they got a couple singles there that got big, but yeah, they never really got that, or at least to the world the label wanted them, obviously. Right, yeah. right. I don't know if they wanted to go there, but maybe, you know. So they had their... They signed they, to they Atlanta for a reason. as Big Brown Beaver, but... Yeah, yeah well, <laughs> and like a, I mean, if you're a real Primus fan, that's kind of a low point for Primus, and but that was, that was, that was when the it started hit. Descending. Yeah, right, right, right. And the Melvins got close enough to being kind of tamed by the record label and said, well, fuck that. Like, There's a lot of bands where their biggest hit is also their least favorite song. Yeah. But they got a lot of exposure too, though. Like the Melvins were featured in a lot of soundtracks from a lot of movies in the oh, early yeah. '90s. If you look around, they were well connected. Yeah, they definitely, yeah, they definitely were. Uh, they were around. You can see their, their a lot of visibility. Um, I was going to say, time, I, I so. mentioned the Melvins, and a lot of people have heard of them. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Not many people have heard them. them. There you well, go. They, they, go. they are quite prolific. Infamous? Too. Is that infamy? That's not yes. being famous. Yeah. That's being infamous, right? Yes. Yeah. It's more than that. So, so if they opened for Kiss, did they ever open for, say, Bon Jovi or no, 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 no. Warrant or um, no? I don't know. I would guess that maybe if they did something, it's um, the pitfalls. Well, they're a LA band, you know. If they I was did, wondering if, if they uh, did, it, my guess if they did anything like that with any of those bands, Kiss was the closest, unless they did something big festival in like Europe where there's like three stages. Motley Crue, yeah, where they, were, yeah, where they were also some, on yeah, the lineup with a hundred other. Yeah, bands. yeah, that's sometimes yeah. that happens in Europe. Right, where right, just right. Like, what Spice Girls and Slayer, you know? <laughs> Yay! So that would be a fun show. I'd be down for that. Tell me what you want, what you really, really want. Shall we go on to the the next song, which is sort of the um. The the uh, I don't know epic of the album. Uh, <laughs> it's the air breather deep oh, in yeah. the arms of Morpheus. <laughs> I, I was a bit bummed that I when I saw the title because I I've been I, I've always liked that idea of the arms of Morpheus for yeah. a song title and it's like yeah Melvin's did it. Well, they don't really reference it. I'm sure you could get away with it. Yeah, Buzz is a he's an interesting fellow. I, I've read that he has his own sort of. I mean, he, he can he he, write, he he understands music, but he kind of has his own language too. So he's got his own like form of writing. So he's he's and I don't know as far as his lyrical content where that comes from, but there was they performed at, our fellow. <laughs> they performed sure. one of the lineups at the you know the Montreux Jazz Festival, yeah. I think with Terry Bozio on drums or something because Dale couldn't make it. The, I know Phantom Moss did. Bozio? I know yeah. Phantom Moss did that too. Oh, that was Phantom Moss. Yeah, it's another yeah. super group. Yeah, but that's the kind of. Cachet they Th- that's have. well that's kind of the the level of chops and writing that they have is they that? also did uh, the Melvin's Phantomos big band which had both yep. Dale Crover and Dave Lombardo from Slayer or there's a little drummer from Slayer Phantomos's drummer playing drums at the same time they both had gongs and it was just like they combined forces for this giant loud bombastic thing it's pretty neat I wonder if you played this song at a, a normal tempo if it would actually come in at about three minutes because it is it's it's pretty epic yeah it's, it's yeah, yeah. It's good. Well, there's a whole other song tacked on at the end. Yeah, right? I was going to say, does this count as one song or is it because I mean, like nine minutes in, it's basically but and then you like know three three songs in one yeah i like tricycle well, I, 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 I dug this i, I think on the vinyl they actually had yeah. to chop it in half and one's on the end of side one and the on rest the trilogy on, on not all three of the is it the maggot where all the songs are split in half yeah i love that that, that for that's, no reason yeah, they, they don't they don't stop the song it's just part well, one and part two my, my 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 theory on that is they're they're forcing you to listen to the album yeah, you, you you can't listen to one song. You, you can't put it on shuffle. <laughs> you can't. Yeah, you can't. If we put it on shuffle, you're only get half a song. So you might as well just listen to the whole album. Yeah, I, I remember Prince put out an album where it was just all in one track to try and just force one you track. to do that. Yeah, yeah. Lysol is, I think, two tracks. Two tracks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's so, probably side one and side two. Yep. <laughs> what do we think of the the album title? That's a good question. Is this this music particularly white? <laughs> well, I was you know I was thinking you know and it does have it's no funny. Pat Boone. <laughs> There could be multiple layers there too. You yeah. know, something in in music when you say something's honky, it can have a real 
Yeah, the sound of a honk. Yeah, right. Sounds like a goose. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Sort of this dominant mid-range kind of tone, you know. But yeah. it doesn't really have that. They're no, not it's doing a lot of honking in here. Yeah, so there's yeah. not a lot of well, horns. Isn't, isn't Pincus's band? Uh, yeah, well, Pincus, who yeah, from the Buttles Rivers, who's been playing with the Melvins of recently, uh, is actually in a band called Honky. Specifically, they named their band Honky. <laughs> That's what they're called. I don't. You know what? I'm not sure what the what the inspiration on the title is. Like, all I know is considering everything else about what led up to this being released. It was just kind of them maybe embellish, yeah. embellishing a little bit of it. Like, here, I'm going to go to this other record label and do whatever I want. Yeah, call the album whatever right. I want. <laughs> maybe there was an inside joke at their well, <laughs> guy at Atlantic or something. I don't know. Yeah. So, so, yeah. <laughs> right, right, there you go. I'd love to give them more credit than this, but uh, I, it is entirely possible that, that the Melvins are nothing more than a, a, a really uh, advanced... Uh, Troll, musical troll. There you go. Well, yeah. Yeah, multifaceted. Yeah. Yeah. I don't mean that in a bad way. It's a very that would explain a lot of the, the song you know, titles I, as well. I hope uh, that's not all there is to to it. But if 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 it is, like they are, uh, they're doing a good job. They're doing a good job. <laughs> yeah, for sure, absolutely. And busy. Another thing I really appreciate about them is they're they're busy. They're I prolific. Mean, as, I, as far as their output goes, I mean, I was gonna say even <laughs> even with all these songs that or albums that aren't on Spotify, there's plenty for me to listen oh, to yeah. this week. So, speaking of weird titles, we're gonna we're gonna get into laughing with Lucifer at Satan's sideshow. This is definitely the most <clears throat> ween sounding. <laughs> The, the weird, you know, hand percussion. And, and this has got the notorious uh, messages yeah. from Atlantic label reps. Yeah. Left on Buzz's answering so service. I wonder which one is Satan and which one's Lucifer. There you go. Because they seem to be laughing at this guy. Yes. But they're not laughing with him. No. <laughs> no, they're laughing at him or them. There's several people here. Pure Guava came out in 1992, by the way. This might be a pretty shameless ripoff. <laughs> well, if you had these, you know, snippets of answering machine, and you wanted to put them on the album, you couldn't just put them without some music. So this was probably just the little, easiest to throw together. <laughs> a little wall riff that Buzz doing there is great. Victoria Lundy had mentioned to me that she had done a song that was really similar thematically. Yeah. Uh, like with the synth parts here, like this sort of thing, when I posted it a while back and sort of related to that. I think the name of that song was, what was it? Um, uh, Fred Durst's a Bitch. Oh, yes. <laughs> I think that's the name of the title that, that Victoria quoted me that she said was kind of similar to this. Theme yeah, I think it was the, the, you know, the guitar player from Limp Bizkit had an answering machine message from Fred Durst that he turned into a song. That, West yeah. Borland or whoever it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so how much do you? How much of of this do you think is uh, of that song is composed, or is it just improvising? You know, sort of vamping in between the uh, the the answering machine machine snippets. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. I think there are. Uh, uh, I, I don't think much happens by accident. Yeah, the everything Melvins. is premeditated. I think with those yeah, guys. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's from seeing them. Uh, Live, live, yeah, exactly. where, like I, like I was saying before, they they will on a tour where they're touring a, a new contemporary, you know, just written album, just released album, they will throw in one or two really odd songs from way back, and the details about it are usually pretty <laughs> like flawless. I think they like to. I think they do get a little bit out of kind of screwing with their with their fans a little bit. I saw them at the Bluebird. I don't know. I can't remember what year it was. Maybe 2008. And they didn't say one word to the whole crowd the whole time. They came out. There was a sign on the base that just said that just said Melvin's. It was. It lit up. Yeah. And then the, they took a break. They took a 10 minute break in the middle of their set, and then just came out on stage and they stared at the crowd. They just stared for 10 minutes, like looking at the crowd. Didn't say anything. And then at the end of the show, they got done with their last song. They came out. They flipped the song. They, they flipped the sign over, and it said "Thank you." And they left. Well, there you go. <laughs> That's what they did the whole time. They did. Buzz didn't say one. He didn't say one word to the crowd. They just. Well, at least they have the good silent show. <laughs> yes, plate. Oh, yes. thank you. <laughs> you know. Speaking of silence, there there is you know depending on how you listen to this album, extra twenty five minutes of silence at the very end for no good reason, or maybe a good reason. Do we have a reason? You know, it took me a while to actually realize that until one day I think maybe I, you know it was 
a little over-medicated and didn't realize <laughs> that it was still on. And I was like, wait, this is like a hit. No, it's not a hidden show. Oh, it's the same song. I didn't know for the longest time that it extended for 25 minutes of silence afterwards. I would just, you know, turn the album off or whatever. But Well, yeah. <laughs> but, so a Philip, but, Philip Glass cover? I, I was going to say, it's a very, very 433. Yeah, 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 the Melvins. The last 20 minutes of the album are on you, buddy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly right, right. It's all in your mind. You make it up. We just did this. You do the rest. Yeah, we've worked hard enough. <laughs> We're taking a break. So I'm not even sure how to pronounce this next one. It's how, and then there's like two dashes and two plus signs and two more yeah, dashes. I'm not sure how to yeah, pronounce the symbols. How? Is, it how? is that like an, a track? an emoticon or a, yeah. an emoji? Or? Yeah. <laughs> so we got metal machine music. Here you go. Yeah, I was going to say. So it starts out kind of. I wrote down uh, metal machine music. Yes. Yeah, Metal Machine Music, yeah. Where they, uh, um, some pretty early ministry sound. Yeah, I was gonna drums. say, there's a, well, there's a lot of like, kind of like under, under, you know, almost industrial qualities to the production on this stuff, on this album in particular. Kind of like noise rock, industrial kind of hybrid thing going on. This is a throbbing gristle cover. Yeah. Uh, there you go. <laughs> so, do we think they were Lou, Lou Reed fans? Absolutely. I think they're probably fans. Maybe not the biggest fans, but I think they're fans. You know, I think there's a respect there for sure, obviously. Yeah. Not quite as obvious as like Sonic Youth, but I think it's there. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's there. So do you think that's a drum machine? I think, I think so. Yeah, yeah. The drum machine. Yeah. Let's say the tempo is is very uh, consistent that, in its that ramping up. Yes. Yeah, yeah. That might be Dale, but they might be sampling it and speeding up or slowing yeah, down. Right. So like stacking it, doubling yeah. it up maybe, you never know. I, Probably good as time as any to mention that Dale Crover, the one of the best drummers, one of the best yeah. drummers <laughs> ever. Um, I, it's a lot of people. It takes a long time for him to really get, you know, what he's doing. But there's a, yeah, he's a monster. He's there's a really monster, a lot yeah. of things that you could compare to, uh, um, like uh, uh, King Crimson. Uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Bill uh, Ruford. There's a lot of very Bill like Bruford, Rufordisms yeah. in Dale's playing, and his his uh, his groove is just rock solid. Um, there's a thing that Dale does that is not present on this album, but all over most of the rest of the Melvin's catalog. Uh, that I call it the falling down the stairs feel, um, which is it kind of. Um, a thing that like Tony Williams would do where it's just the meter completely falls apart and then lands like <laughs> flawlessly rock solid you know almost nothing tied to the grid so to speak through that fill and then just right with it as if the whole thing is completely deliberate and you know incredibly groovy but sounds like a mess he's a monster I, from what I read Buzz found him it's kind of funny found him he was in an Iron Maiden cover band which doesn't surprise me, really. No. You know, he comes from you know, kind of a you know hard metal back yeah. a little bit there. I mean, he's still you a punk rocker too, the, but you know, like drumming vocabulary. Well, when he really found him, he was playing drums in an Iron Maiden cover band. So I mean, but uh, you, you have know. to be a pretty good drummer. Though. I, I don't yeah, think yeah. too many people automatically think tech drummer when they think Dale when they think Dale cover. But I think drummers that know you know drumming and music, and music and you guys, you know, well, just the same thing. The same way it's really hard to play really really fast, playing really really slow. Not easy. I think it's in some cases probably harder to yeah. play, like actually in time slower than it is to play faster. And these guys sort of definitely plumb the depths of how slow you can go and still call it music. Yes. <laughs> like, really, like it, it's a it's been explored by them thoroughly. <laughs> yeah. Another weird one that I like is uh, Eggnog. That was like a little EP release that they did. It's like six songs. That one's almost got like a tongue-in-cheek kind of metal quality about it, like heavy metal quality about it, but it's more like they're kind of stabbing fun at metal than actually, you know, even though it's just as heavy, if not heavier, but, you know, there's that little bit of just a little bit of cynical <laughs> cynicism, you know, with it, you know, with their stuff. Um, but, yeah. All right, this well, record seems to be all over the place. Yeah. Yes, that is. Yes. Consistency is not their thing. So <laughs> what we got next? Uh, Harry Lauder's Walking Stick Tree. I think Harry Lauder is a comic from the scotland in like the early 1900s yeah. and he was also an amateur botanist and, <laughs> and that he f discovered some plant that they named the walking tree. Oh, did you did you, uh, did you did you research it a bit i did <laughs> i'm like I'm, I, awesome that's that, pretty awesome <laughs> i got that far i'm like well this doesn't help me with the song at all <laughs> but yeah, there's some bizarre references i mean i mean if you i bet if, if you really do 
buzz and you could pick his brain a little bit, you might be able to get it out of him, or maybe just being around him, you might get it. But yeah, he's got some bizarre references in a lot of their, a lot of their stuff. It's pretty cool, though. You know. Did you say where was Harry Lauders from? Did you? Scotland. Oh, Scotland. That's right. You said that. Yeah. <laughs> Scottish. So, so he wasn't a great Northwest guy or anything. No. Makes you. Yeah. I don't know whether they're referencing his tree and they like his <laughs> trees. I don't know. They're big pans of wood. What if they just saw a plaque somewhere. Yeah. There you go. This is sort of the mellowest, but still song song on here. Pretty much, yeah. This is probably the the, 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 the lightest moment of the album for sure. Almost kind of like a spaghetti western kind of yeah. guitar sound going on there. Oh. It speaks. It it, uh, it sounds like uh, uh, the plugs uh, real ten kind of. Yeah. yeah, a little bit. Yeah, guitar yeah, sound wise, yeah. yeah. Groove, groove wise. Maybe the least distorted song on here. Were you able to suss out the vocals? Like I can lyrics, hear there I mean, are vocals. Yes. That, that's as <laughs> far you, as I can get. So did you actually try looking up like the actual lyrics for each song? Is that, like on lyric, any of the lyric sites yeah. or whatever? Yeah, I've never really looked it up either. But. Well, 90% of them are, you know, fan written, so they're, so they're pretty not, they're unreliable. Not, yeah, they're not, yeah. You can't really count on it, yeah. This one's kind of weenie, too. Yeah, the, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, when I heard that, it's because I was at that time, I, you know, I was listening to a lot of Ween too, and so I, when I heard this, I was like, I mean, it, it, I could tell it was a Melvin's record, but I was like, this kind of parts here and there kind of reminded me of like, you know, Ween, like you know, heavier Ween or something. Maybe. They can, yes. Nebuchadnezzar actually right now we're doing a cover of a Ween song, and it's funny the way we do it. Kind of sounds like the Melvin's. Kind of sounds like. The This record I kind of hear a little bit. Yeah, that's, I mean, the Melvins and, and you know, earlier we, before pre-jam band ween. Yeah. Uh, the good ween. The good, yeah, <laughs> they're both I good, should, but, uh, but yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, <laughs> for me, they're two bands that always just like were, yeah. fit perfectly side by side, even though, you know, to the casual observer, they're, they have nothing to do with one another. Yeah. If you're kind of into them and how they make music and and why they make music, it's kind of so it's that's like who these, they should have opened for. Ripping, both got ripping guitar I'm players. I'm sure they've played shows players. before. I'm sure they played together. I don't think they've ever like toured together like as a tour, but I'm sure they played festivals at least where they've yeah. probably yeah. been in the same. I, I definitely yeah. can hear the connection. Yeah. yeah, two ripping guitar players. That's for sure. You know, <laughs> and lots and lots of drugs. <laughs> I, mean, I, 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 I don't the think the Melvins are actually the Melvins are not. Buzz not is like a coffee and cigarettes kind of guy. I, th- I yeah, think Dale yeah. might smoke a little bit of grass, but they're not. I was gonna say they're not potheads. And the Ween, no. Ween, Ween, Ween takes the chemical dependency a little bit further. Yeah, yeah. The well, do, but few so. people. That, that might, exactly, that, exactly, exactly. That's probably why the Melvins are still making killer full length albums, and Ween is like on their. You know, well, Buzz is just like naturally decade of nostalgia. I don't tour. think that Buzz needs chemicals. He's just on his own. You know, he does yeah. his own thing, and coffee coffee works for him. So yep. maybe occasional beer. <laughs> like, like Zappa, like you see pictures of Zappa, same sort of thing. That guy wasn't a partier either. No, you know, and he was uh, well, plenty weird. <laughs> yeah, plenty weird. Hung out with some weirdos and did weird things. Well, shall we try grin? Well, in our current universe, you know, yeah, not doing it is probably weird. Yeah, true. There's another one again with like the lo-fi sort of, you know. Yeah, this is this was the one that reminded me most of like they might be giants or something. This one like, right here, yeah, I can yeah. yeah. Like this sounds like the the drum machine they had back in '82 or whatever. <laughs> they might be giants is another. So that that's really the Ween connection with that the Melvins. Bass, it's pretty pretty low bass. It almost sounds like an 808. I mean, I don't think it is an 808, but I mean, you know, it's got yeah. that, that low end to it. Pretty cool. Well, these are and they might be giants. They're all all three of those bands have like two guys who've been consistent through the whole like. Yeah, you know, through their whole career as the, moments, as, yeah. as the primary songwriters, that kind of have uh, <laughs> clashing but complementary styles. And, I mean, that's how you get the Ween magic, the Melvins magic. They might be giants. Like, yeah. find you a friend who who gets what you're doing, and you know you can go through bass players like water. So I'm yeah. imagining these guys are like they've got to be. I mean, I'm not trying to go the age, pull the age car, but they got to be in their early fifties. You know, mid, well, early yeah. to mid fifties, pushing sixty. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm like forty three now, so it's like yeah, these guys have got to be like pushing sixty, you know. Yeah. And they're still like, you know, doing doing new and interesting things, you know, all the time. So they keep it fresh, even if they have to get a little bit 
weird sometimes. <laughs> you got the Wikipedia in front of you, Scott, but it, uh, Mackie did the artwork for this. Buzz's wife. Yeah. yeah. Amazing yeah. artist. She's an amazing artist. Yeah, shout out to Mackie Osborne, who has done a lot of the Melvin's artwork, albums, covers, um, their woodblock cuts, um, uh, lithographs. Drawings, photography, all kinds of weird stuff. And she's pretty great. They own in their in their house in LA. They have a printing press, like a three hundred year old printing press, and uh, and there are uh, releases on amphetamine reptile where you can get your your twelve inch single in weird swirly colors with a a, a woodblock print done by Buzz or Mackie or both. They, which uh, is cool as hell. If you're print in, their own copies of the Bible. Uh, no, no, no. You might. <laughs> I could see King. You know what? King Buzzo would be yeah, great. He should, he should host like Antique Roadshow. <laughs> He'd be great. He's like, he's totally into curios and like weird stuff. We, I saw Phantom Moss and a buddy of mine talked to them before they were in town and they were, they were on Broadway. Buzz was on Broadway checking out all this, you know, like, um, Blinky shop. He was just yeah. down there checking all the weird spots on, on South Broadway looking for... I mean, I can imagine his house has got a lot if, of interesting if, if things. If you go on the internet, look for pictures of Buzz and Mackie's yeah, I, I, house. I, I can only imagine, yeah. Lined with tchotchkes and, and, <laughs> and weird weird shit. Like it's little, awesome. Some little museum, yeah. Joni loves tchotchkes. Joni loves kinda like, tchotchkes. Kind of like Lemmy, but less swasticas. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, Which is not, always not a good thing. Not quite as many ouch, daggers. Ouch, ouch. <laughs> yeah. Less sharp, more... Uh, yeah, swirly. So shall we go on to the... Demon? I don't know. Iron crosses, though. <laughs> yeah. yeah, Iron Cross might be a bit more, the, the, more the finale. <laughs> In the freak toast, the bugs are dying. This Another one of the probably one extra of my... long songs on here. Well, not that bad. Like four and a half just minutes. Just because of the, 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 the rest of the track. Just, you know. Yeah, 25 like, minutes. Kind of returns to their, you know... Their sort of signature heavy style, but this is this is like one of their this is one of my favorite Melvin songs. I love this song. Good song. <laughs> this is classic Melvins. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think they were like trying to win back everyone they alienated with the last song? I don't think they care. No. See, this is like thrashy. It's just a. Uh, it's just that this album is a test in patience. Exactly. <laughs> All good things to those who wait. <laughs> I mean, this could be like one of those. Um, you know, early, early '80s thrash metal, yeah, cassettes that had a little, you know, like lo-fi quality. It's too, it's too weird. Well, yeah, this is too weird. Well, one of those would just be fucked up. You know, it wasn't done very well. Yeah, but talking about Dale Crover, this this track right here really. Uh, I mean, listen to his showcases in the how, intro. How, yeah, how all over the yeah, great, great drummer. Like it sounds fast and thrashy, but like listen to if you zoom in on the on the drums and some of the more nimble stuff your average like thrash drummer can't do half of this shit they got harmony and then this goes yeah I think this is like the first actual guitar solo yeah. on the album too. and it's a great one too but it just kind of goes to like yeah saturated yeah, Jimmy Hendrix you know, land, it's cool. I'm, I'm For really, a band that's more, you know, instrumental than vocal, the fact that it hasn't really been a quote-unquote solo until the final song is kind of <laughs> odd. I'm, I'm willing to bet that was the Ampeg Scrambler. Yeah. It's that uh, classic, just riff in your face, simple. In your face, you know, relentless. Man, the vocals are really buried. Yeah. They are unimportant. They are letting you know that the vocals are unimportant. <laughs> you were important enough to double track them, though. Yeah, I mean, they're... They're not unnecessary. They're just unimportant. In the freak toast, the bugs are dying. Well... Expect them to live in the freak dose, do you? Are we going to talk over the song? Dose? Oh, the. Yeah, which is still playing. We have yes. 25 yeah, yeah. minutes of silence. This yeah. is the truth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen to that drumming. Cage would be proud. <laughs> so, how many fans. I mean, I know it wasn't as successful as Atlantic was hoping for, but how how successful did they get prior to this? Well, to hear? Well, I would say, I mean, I mean, it's interesting. I, I, that's hard to tell because since then and since they signed with. Uh, it's a smaller independent label, but a big independent label. It's yeah. got a lot of backing, and so, I, you know, 
they put out a lot of albums since they've been on Impact, so I, I can't say what, what, what that would be, but I would guess that they're most during the Atlantic years, even though considered like a you know, Atlantic failure. For, for them. For them, but, but for the Melvins, as far as their success, I mean, they hit around that same time. You know, people will remember the Melvins from the big band in the early 90s, I think. Yeah. They've been a lot of Aston and Yeah, Seattle, you know, Nirvana, and all that stuff, just whatever. But they were around since the 80s, but it's a band that's like, I'm pretty sure they, they started in like 85 or something like that. I think that. it was 83. Yeah, yeah, they've been around, so they've been around, you know, yeah. it's pretty insane. So, but, uh, Do you think they were like trying to rid themselves of that audience that they had accidentally? You know, gained during those last few albums? I don't think so because they tried for a well, while. I actually saw them, and I don't know if this is a dirty word, but in 1999, I saw them open up for Tool there you at, go. at Red Rocks. So they were still kind of they're still kind of trying to do that. Um, and um, and they were, it was it was actually pretty, it was pretty horrible. Like Tool fans were throwing trash at the Melvins, like literally throwing stuff on them. And I saw Melvins like the highest of compliments. Exactly. Well, Tool has this thing where they always As get a like, Melvins fan. The Tool's Tool has this thing where they always That's get more beautiful. interesting bands than they are to open up for them, and then their fans don't get them, which is just this weird thing that which they is do. really I don't, bizarre. I don't because tool, tool fans seem to think of themselves as being very sophisticated. Yeah, and yeah. That they kind it's of in miss seven the four mark time. I know and a lot of the, uh, which is why they wear shirts that say Tool on them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, yeah. A, a lot of the stuff that the Melvins do that is really musically sophisticated and interesting is really buried in there and it's like exactly the kind of crap that you're like a tool fan won't shut up about liking about you well, know like I guess polyrhythmic stuff and what I understand like Adam Jones and Buzz are like they're like oh yeah he was in buddies, he was in the Melvins friends, you know? for uh, a little uh, while yeah, yeah. it wasn't everyone in the Melvins yeah, at this yeah, point yeah. Well, so then, the Melvins ever open for King Crimson I don't uh, think they opened no. for King Crimson. I think the progiest band they opened for was probably Rush. Was probably that's my Rush, guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's my guess. Is that which that's I, I think. I mean, I don't know. They played. You know, you don't. You never know. Like as far as like Europe or Australia or South America, right, or right, right. like that, where you know lineups can be a little bit more diverse. But. They also exist in a period where Crimson was not especially active. active. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, no, I just mentioned that because there's that that uh, you know Crimson opened for Tool and was apparently booed at booed. That should tell you right there. Even with Danny Carey, who I guess sat in because Bill Bruford was hurt at one point or, yeah. or sick, and their fans were still like, yeah, so yeah, not as sophisticated. Yeah. Tool fans are just not that sophisticated. Actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's important to be booed by the right people. I right. Think, uh, oh man. <laughs> One day I want to have. So I want to make sure I get the correction here. I mentioned earlier that Lorax was the daughter of Shirley Temple. It's either Shirley Temple or Judy Garland. It was one of the other. So I guess Shirley. It's it's, Shirley Temple, right? Laurie Black. Yeah, Yeah, Laurie Black. Shirley Temple. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Liza Minnelli is the Judy Garland. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Liza Minnelli is going to play bass in the Melvins on the next album. They're working on it right now. That would. I would pay good money to see the theme from Arthur. Cover the theme from Arthur. Christopher Cross to stand in the wings or something. It's three bass players on this one. Takes me away. Yeah, we need to find a good Christopher Cross album to do. That is dentist office music at its best. Yes, that is the waiting room of the dentist office. That and Harry Chapin. Oh yes, the cats in the cradle and the silver spoon. I used to work in a shop where we would play a Harry Chapin record to fuck with one of the guys that I worked with because his wife loved it. Yeah. <laughs> so we'd have it like blasting. He does have an eight-minute song about that sniper that was in Texas back in the 60s. Yeah. What, but Kent State? Is that yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just picking people off. Yeah, it's the Texas Tower. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. the Texas. Yeah. yeah, the guy, University of Texas. Yeah, that's right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he has a whole song about that, which, you know. <laughs> it's a little weird. Again. Yeah, it's, it's an odd yeah. subject matter. <laughs> yes. He just watched, uh, was that Targets with Boris Karloff? There you go. <laughs> good. Peter Bogdanovich. Yeah. So now that we've gone far enough afield, I guess we can start to sum up our feelings. Yeah. Um, Honky, where does it stand in the uh, Melvin's discography? Is it... Uh, uh, that's, I mean, that's tough. I, I mean, I think it's definitely, it's, it's one of the more unique albums. I could say that. I wouldn't say it's... Uh, I mean, I want to. It's hard for me to say what's best or what's worst, but yeah. it definitely sticks out as one of their most unique. And so, I mean, that's probably why you know we're good. here talking about it. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for better or for worse, you know, I'm sure people have strong opinions about yeah. it. I think it's a fun record and a good. Re- you know, if you have patience for it, there's some rewards there. If you but, can handle <laughs> this record, you can probably handle the rest of the Melvins. That's you know, that's actually a really good. If you here, it's a the litmus test. If you can't handle this, don't bother. That's actually a really good way to look at it. What, what's the? Um, is it? Uh, What's, what was the Lost Mord one? Is that Pigs uh, of the Roman, Pigs of the Roman Empire, yeah. which is another one that we thought about maybe doing. That one's really fun, too. That's if, a cool one. That's a great you, record. That's a great record. If you like the yeah. ambient 
stuff. Aside of this, that that's you just start there. Yeah, I was listening to that one actually last night, just because I was kind of listening to this a little bit. And, <laughs> yeah, and me too. I was like, which one of these it. is weirder? <laughs> it's like, eh, they're about well, the Prick same. is the other one. I don't know if you ever listened to Prick before. Yeah, that's yeah. that's another one where they're just kind of just like they're. I don't know. If you bought Prick, they might. I'm not gonna say they ripped you off, but <laughs> but, but they, Prick they is, weren't really. They're definitely fucking with you. I mean, they named the album Prick, and if you bought it, you know, <laughs> yeah. I I um. You know, I was unfamiliar with this album, and um, I'm glad I listened to it. Yeah. I, you know, I feel enriched. Yes, there's there's a lot a, going on. Yeah, yeah. Think, Even if you don't like it, there's a lot going on. You know, it's not it like didn't, it didn't seem like forty minutes of the same. Yeah. I mean, and, and even if it even if it was a middle a middle finger, uh, it, it you know it doesn't. I don't think it really comes across that way. No, it was, it's not. Snide. It wasn't like let's screw over the fans or or the record company or something. It was more. If, you, um, if you're we well want to do what we want, and we don't care what you want. Right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And think someone like Thomas Hazelmeyer, who has respect, said you can do this for our record label. You know, we'll give you. And he let them basically do whatever they want, and they did. And so you know, you gotta like that when artists are able to do what they want with their doesn't like, happen very often. Open canvas, yeah. yeah, with an open canvas, yeah. So. It really depends on where you're coming from. If you're a Flipper fan or a Perubu fan, yes, and or, yes. Uh, uh, <laughs> I haven't watched Flipper in years. Yeah, <laughs> or um, they called in Flipper. God, but uh, yeah, throbbing gristle, uh, anything like that. You will, you will dig this. Um, I, I think that's. It's funny to talk to musicians about different music. Maybe and the sludgier like parts of Black Flag. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, like <laughs> post my war uh, yeah, era, yeah, yeah, yeah. Black Flag. Um, yeah, yeah. Just. The Melvins cast a big net when it comes to their influences. They're shockingly well-versed in different types of, of music and different genres, and even if they have nothing to do thematically with one another. And so, yeah, to a, a huge uh, um, uh, you know, industrial music fan, uh, this is not weird at all. Yeah, exactly. You know, to, to your average rock and roller, Pretty weird shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and so it, it just, it's always, you know, with the different Melvin's albums, whenever there's something where people like are like, well, that one went too far. And it's like, no, it's kind of like the toned down version of this other thing that they love and listen to a lot. And so it really, it rewards you having a bit, you know, they reward you if you have a big musical vocabulary and, and patience. Yeah, I think it's a good, <laughs> I, I think it's a, and then there's some really interesting moments. And I think the moments that are highlights on here are great in the stand up. Um, and I don't think it's a disappointment of an album at all. Not, I mean, you, you could maybe say that about Colossus or Pricks. Can most you name people, most people I know are just like when you bring up an album, like what's the album you don't like by moments? Usually they bring up Colossus. But, yeah, uh, yeah. But, uh, Can you name a favorite or like a favorite top two album? At Melvin's, yeah. Like what, what's a go to? I really like the Maggot off the trilogy just because of how heavy it is. The maggots, it's righteous. just really, really good. It's like I, I mean, I don't know. It switches for me. Lysol's another good one. Bullhead, there's a, Bullhead's another good one. There's Bull, a fantastic a uh, uh, <laughs> Fleetwood Mac. The best Fleetwood Mac cover ever is on the Maggot. On the Maggot, yeah. That's just a, <laughs> what do they do? The Green Manalishi. They yeah, sure they do. do. The green Manalishi. Yeah, they do a real heavily. Yeah, heavy. badass. Well, you know the early, all that early, early. Uh, Fleetwood Mac stuff's really, really good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Peter Green. Yeah, Peter, yeah, Peter Green and Fleetwood Mac is. Uh, uh, we oh. need to we need to do a, a, a Fleetwood Mac Peter Green thing just because. Uh, you should because you should. there's a, there's a lot of people who don't realize that, That's that, what I'm saying. that yeah. Fleetwood Mac had a history before before rumors Stevie yeah. before and, and a really good one yeah, yeah before Stevie <laughs> before pre Stevie yeah pre Stevie if you like this at all and you're unfamiliar with the Melvins you should definitely check out the covers album that they did maybe like five or six years ago it's fantastic it has a whole bunch of guest vocalists um has a bunch of guest musicians on it uh trevor dunn joins them on upright bass to play the theme from female trouble the john waters movie yeah. uh, so that's that, a good one that's to start awesome. with <laughs> it might be i mean they do one of the best david bowie covers i've ever heard um the man who fell to earth no they do uh station to station oh, all like right. 10 minutes of it um and so, uh, and they cover like the wing, uh, Paul McCartney's wings on a, they oh, do, <laughs> one of their that's albums. Too, the they cover wings on, so it's like, but they're expanding. Yeah, they're they're not, you know, buzzes. They listen to a lot of stuff. And what song do they do? Them jet. Let me roll it. They're big fans of like I've read somewhere that Buzz is big fans of uh, the dudes from Los Lobos side side project. Yeah. Uh, I can't think of the name oh, of it right now. He's a huge fan of Buck Owens and Buck Owens. Uh, <laughs> uh, what's his name is playing on and the Buckaroos. Uh, God, what was his name? Who isn't though? The really, guitar yeah. player. Ah, drawing a blank. The uh, Don Rich. No, oh, Don Rich. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. The uh, the pedal steel player. Yeah. Uh, no, fiddle and telly. I know they're, I mean, they're lead, lead guitar. big on Captain Beefheart, which Ooh, doesn't surprise me. No, oh. yeah, there's <laughs> definitely some Can't Beefheart remember. in there. <laughs> you can hear Beefheart, yep. Yeah, but so. But. And then uh, um, 
uh, which we call it. I always really like the uh, the ho- hostile ambient takeover is a fantastic a later oh. period. Uh, I think it's like their twelfth or thirteenth full length album. I like nude with nude, with, like nude with boots was a good one too. Nude with boots <laughs> nude is with great. Boots. Um, there's um, not any right now. They're doing a two bass player thing, but for about yeah. a dozen years they did a double drummers thing. Um, and that, that period, a, a senile animal was the first album they released with that lineup. And it's what the big business guys yeah, kind of yeah, rejuvenated yeah, yeah. them for a, a decade or so. Well, maybe eventually they'll get to the uh, double trio format. There you go. That would be cool. I saw them with that, with that two drummer thing at, uh, the Ogden with the secret chiefs three. And it, yeah. was, it was amazing. It was an absolutely amazing show because secret chiefs three are a hard act to follow. I don't, you know, care who you are. There's an amazing band and they went on before Melvin's and I was like, I don't know. You know, I don't know if Melvin's gonna be able. And they came out and they absolutely just annihilated. And I was blown away. I was like, "This is just as good as their the chief said." They didn't get upstaged at all. You know, they had every right being on the stage too. And uh, you know, they're you know, interesting so, band with great musicians. You know. Conclusion here is: is if you have an extra twelve to fourteen hours to kill, there's lots of good Melvin's music <laughs> out there. Yeah, you, you, yeah. <laughs> you you won't be disappointed. There's the interesting ins and outs on all points on that front. Yeah, I, mean, so. I would say for people that are new to the Melvins, like you might not like some of it, but you might like some of it. There you go. So. <laughs> you, know, you just keep searching. Yeah. You'll find yeah. something. Yeah, and if the first album you listen to is is honky, it does appear to be an out, outlier, <laughs> but it still seems something that would um, yeah, it'll, encourage indicative. you to further, further <laughs> I mean, that, listen. Yeah. This was debated whether this was the weird one or not. Well, the, the, <laughs> that was my first response well, as well. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, there's like six or seven that would count, so yeah, we'll start here. Yeah, I mean... Every, and every record at least has, you know, a couple tracks that are like that, too, that are just, they're going to, you know, they're just going to poke you in the eye and make you think a little bit. <laughs> you know, that that's kind of what it is. Well, then uh, I guess if that's it, we'll wrap it up. Is there anything you want to plug or promote? Where can people find you online? Uh, well, I would say this, uh, Nebuchadnezzar is going to be playing... Uh, Next Saturday, actually, at uh, the Black Sheep in Colorado Springs, uh, Ritual Skateboard is doing a new film called Ritual Three, um, and they're doing a showing with a concert attached to it. And that's going to be next Saturday night at the Black Sheep, and then we're doing it again at the Oriental uh, on March fourteenth, which is a Saturday, and that'll be with uh, the Clusterfucks and Grimy. So, so yeah, yeah, look online, check it out. There'll be things. To uh, point you where to go. Oh, and then Ice Trolls doing a tape release at uh, Streets of London or Streets? What's well, just Streets Denver now? Excuse me, not Streets of London. Streets Denver. Yeah, streets Denver. <laughs> streets Denver on um, two fifteen. So yeah, a couple couple weeks. We're gonna be doing a cassette release uh, split with uh, Deer Creek from Denver also. So. Ooh. And then uh, Gert versus Goom has a new uh, a new single out. Uh, check it Singles. out. Yeah, sing- yeah, single. Yeah, it's two songs. Um, look on our Bandcamp. Or Gort versus Goom.com and you it'll it's, get you there. It's spelled like it sounds, so you can find it. G O R T V S G O O M. There you go. Check them out. They're nifty. And uh, I guess that'll wrap it up for here. Um, tune in next week to try and figure out who this is. Not